Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. People do not really reckon what God had in mind in bringing the message of the Spirit of God to this world. But the Bible is here. Nobody can deny its literary and literal reality. How came it to be? It did not write itself. No book ever does. But the question is, was it written by an unaided man? Or was it written by a God-inspired scribe? We know who did not write it by the things that are contained in it. And that's Satan and his forces. We don't have to worry about the father of the church of Christ retiring. We don't have to worry about him stepping down because of longevity of age. Because he who is the head of the church of Christ pre-existed time in eternity, pre-existed sonship as the father of the son, pre-existed creation, himself being the creator of all things. For in him and by him and through him were all things made that is made. He who is the son of God came to be a participant in a son of man. And as a man and a woman can join together, then they twain be one flesh. So the son of God joined with the son of man for a purpose that we have not understood. Infidels do not believe the word of God. It condemns them on every page for their blatant unbelief. Ungodly men do not believe in the word of God. Jesus said men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And the word of God condemns their lascivious lifestyle. And denominationalists do not even believe Jesus is the son of God. They have written their own books. And having written their own books, think Jesus was a nice guy. And maybe he was at one or two times a prophet, but never consider him to be God. So they have written their own books called, as they start out, We Believe. Anytime you talk to somebody and they tell you what they believe instead of what the Word of God teaches, you know you got a problem. But the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Church of Christ at Corinth, does some real mind elevating 
instruction concerning the natural and the spiritual man. If you've ever been in a discussion with the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Rutherford students or, you know, Charles Taz or uh, whomever it was that started that false denomination, they're going to tell you that they uh, are not spiritually discerned, that you are. The reason they're going to tell you that they're not spiritually discerned and you are is that they tell you that Moses and Abraham and Elijah are out walking the earth. And if you used to beat them, you wouldn't recognize them. But since they're not spiritually discerned, they would recognize them. I was in Ohio one time in a meeting, and I had a discussion set up with Nathan Knorr's brother, who was at that time the head of the Jehovah's Witness denomination. And there was a gentleman that came and knocked on the door of somebody whom we were studying the word of God with. And he told us that he was a witness of Jehovah. Could he come in for the Bible study? Of course we invited him in. And when he came in, he sat down across from me, and I just got up and went over and sat beside him. And when I sat down beside him, he acted like he was a little unsettled, so I just moved a little closer. And as we were going through the study of the scriptures, he was telling us about Moses and Abraham and Elijah being out walking the earth. I just moved a little closer. He looked at me and he said, why are you sitting so close to me? I said, well, you say you're not spiritually discerned. Oh, no, because I've seen these men. Well, I said, then tell these people who I am. Well, he said, I didn't catch your name when I entered it. I said, that doesn't matter if you're not spiritually discerned or if you are not spiritually discerned as you claim to be. You can tell them who I am. You know they don't. He said, all right, I give up. Who are you? I said, I'm Paul the Apostle. He looked at me and he said, you're a liar. I said, no more than you are. I said, you can't witness to God, and I'm not Paul the Apostle, and we both agree on that. But they have taken the verses that we're going to be reading this morning, have mutilated it, and tried to let on like that you and I are not spiritually adept at what the God of heaven intended for the work of the Holy Spirit to be. There were 40 selected men unaided by the help of those who had ever had any knowledge or information of mankind, who wrote in five or six different ages of time, neither claiming to be the author, but only the revealer or conveyor of a message that was intended for you and I. What they conveyed, they had heard or received as they were enshrouded by a being who claimed and was deity. He was a fellow member of a select nature or being who had power unimaginable, information and an intelligence irreconcilable to reason. An opportunity by years of 
expanse and eternity to have a reality of what the plan of God was from eternity that man did not understand. And he was sent by the other two members of the Godhead to convey the message that God the Father had given him at the request of God the Son to tell us how to live, to prepare us for eternity. The Bible is not natural inspiration. It's not like the inspiration that people claim for Shakespeare or Tennyson. It is not just a human genius. If so, it's a literary hoax in the realm of religion. It's not something that is engrossed in a beautiful way to put a wonderful expression. It is something that was intended to convey the mind of God. And there's a reason that the mind of God needed to be conveyed. And that reason is our hope for eternity. If we can't become like God, how can we spend eternity with him? If God can't take or would not take humanity and bring it to a level whereby it could be at home with deity, what would be the purpose of heaven for you and I? I see a lot of animals that are caged. And a lot of times I think of a caged animal or these people who try to let on like that they're going to go to be with God in heaven and would be in a worse condition or situation than a caged animal would be in because they won't be happy or satisfied with that place. The writings of the Word of God are given by inspiration. Now, the word inspired means really God breathed. What the apostles spake, they spake as the Spirit gave them utterance. And upon the day of Pentecost, they all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house wherein they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and set upon each of them. And they all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's plenary and verbal. Plenary means to be entire. Verbal is the means through which it came. Complete in the fact that it was given so you and I can prepare ourselves or to become like or to have the mind of Christ. We need to know the means and the way to adjust our lives. So when we talk about the Spirit of God, we use an adjective in relating to the Spirit of God that teaches us something very succinctly. In the Old Testament, he's not called the Holy Spirit. Maybe he never paid any attention to that, but he's just the Spirit of God. It's only when we get to the New Testament period of time that he is called holy. As each word or name is given of deity that describes a facet or a function that they participated in for the salvation of mankind and the hope of eternal life in heaven, so this word holy 
does the same. You see, the Holy Spirit was given a job. And that job was to make you holy. That's the reason in the New Testament, he has this definitive description of himself. I've often thought that it took something like a God that could take 12 unlearned and ignorant men who had no rank or station or no place in Israel, who nobody thought was of much value, and they didn't have any political pull, people that hated most of mankind because they were taught by their middle wall of petition, that is the law of Moses, that they were actually better than everybody else. It only take a God to take people like this who hated and despised Gentiles, who despised everybody that wasn't a Jew and couldn't trace his ancestry to Abraham to send them into all the world. What an undertaking. You had two or three disciples we knew that were zealots. Now, the zealots were those Jews who were a part of a religious organization that swore on the birth or the head of their sons that they would give their sons and their lives in defense or the restoration of Israel. And they carried about themselves swords. Yeah, uh, they carried about a sword and a sheath. They went about packing. And they didn't do that just because they were playing games. They meant what they said. Peter and John, who were they who had those swords with them the night that Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper, are evident by the fact that the Lord said, have we any swords? And they said, we have two. He said, that will be sufficient. Then there was the righteous and holy Jew, Thomas, who thought that he was going to be a little better than Nathaniel. And then there were, they just didn't fit the definition or description of salvation that would be brought to the world. So Jesus Christ had to work with them for three and a half years. And as he worked with them, he had to make them and mold them and, and develop them and cause them to be those who could carry a message to the world that the world could not receive with joy as it should have. The final words of God are Jesus Christ to his disciples show beyond question or doubt the purpose and the plan that God had had in mind in sending Christ to the world when he castigated them or upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not in them that had seen him risen from the dead. But then immediately turned around and said, now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Have you tied those two thoughts together? The very moment that he had preceded the Great Commission, he was rebuking them with severity because they didn't believe. And then turned around and commissioned them in the last second to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the purpose he had in preaching the gospel 
was that the Spirit of God would come and make over, would rework, reframe the mind of humanity so they, that is the mind of humanity, could be like the mind of Christ. How am I going to know what the mind of Christ is? How am I going to know how to be like God? You mean I could take some old gray-headed man that sinned as much as I have, that has written some kind of a catechism or a creed or a manual that relates to me about his experiences of salvation tells me about the wonders of the working of what he calls God and relates to me rules and regulations that are different and distinct from what God has stated. And that's the person I'm to follow to eternity. Jesus, as he was commissioning the apostles to go into all the world, says, settle this in your heart. There's going to be a change coming. There's going to be a different purpose for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to take over and make over and we rework and reframe your mind so that it can be like mine. With people not understanding the purpose of the Holy Spirit, there are sometimes that there are those among us who want to reject and rebel when the God of heaven has commanded I have every once in a while people tell me that they know better than God as to how to make me a citizen of heaven. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that man thinks himself wiser than God. Where did he get the impropriety or the outright disrespect to put himself in the place of God and correct our discharge his words instead of the words of God and bind them upon his followers. How is it that that man who has never known God, who's never been in fellowship with him because he's never known him in the free pardon of sin, how is it that that individual can tell me how to be a citizen of heaven when he knows nobody that's there has never been a part of that community? When the scriptures keep saying, you have to have the mind of Christ. Or let the mind of Christ be in you. Or let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. When you understand that God is trying to rework or remake, then you don't complain about how many times you have to come for a a work session. Oh, every once in a while, my brethren complain about having to come to the services too often. Somebody told me the other day, well, I don't want to go to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ because they're real serious. They have more than two services a week. Yeah, we even get together on uh, Super Bowl Sunday evening. What a strange grunch of people we are. We come together to study, to read, to comprehend, but we're not doing this just to make fun of ourselves or to make light of our inability to comprehend. We're working on making ourselves like Christ. We have a job to perform. Jesus said, I've prayed to the Father, and he'll send you the Spirit. In John 16 and 13, 
And when the Spirit comes, he'll lead you and direct you into all the truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth of me, that shall he say unto you. And he will show you of mine, for he'll show you of things to come. What was coming? The mind of Christ. The purpose that God had in the spirit of God coming to this world was to make us capable of citizenry in heaven. Now, when we talk to the Apostle Paul, as he has written here in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, let's look and see if this doesn't follow suit to what he's teaching these Corinthian brethren. I don't know about you, but there was no congregation in the New Testament era that I would not want to preach for if it wouldn't be the Corinthian Church of Christ. You talk about a messed up congregation. One that I wouldn't even know where to start to try to get corrected. I don't know how the Apostle Paul just didn't throw up his hands and walk off and say, okay, I quit, you've got me. But this was that congregation. But let's start with verse 9. I have not seen ear hath not heard neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God hath in store for them that love him now I used to quote this and it's beautiful so it's poetic I mean that's the reason I love the King James translation not only does it teach the truth but it does it in a poetic fashion that engenders itself to your heart what I the understanding and the comprehension of man the mystery of the ages That that didn't come from the charnel dead. That that came from the vibrant spirit called God. That mystery has revealed a plan that God intended to perpetrate or to communicate upon humanity so that man and God could be that unity or that union or have a marriage where the twain could become one. And this means, our process, would be brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. But yet there are people in the Church of Christ that claim, we don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, they don't have a whole lot of things. But if they've been obedient to the gospel of Christ, they may not realize what they have, but they do have it. You know, every once in a while in teaching people, I say, him whom ye ignorantly worship, declare I unto you. There's a lot of people that don't think that they have the Holy Spirit, but as a part of the agreement of God in the plan of salvation, when you repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins, you receive the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whether they realize what it is or not, they have it. And what it does and the purpose of its existence in Christianity is beyond recognition the greatest work that God has ever performed on man. We have the mind of Christ. We think like he does. We talk like he does. We live like he does. We work together like he did. Oh, this doesn't come about because of some... um, means that is our genius. This comes about because we look at and continue to work at and continue to read and study and continue to look into the pages of the book as in a mirror. And then we look in that mirror, we're adjusting our lives so that we're always able to see those things that are wrong. But the mind of eye, the eye of man, 
the, man, the, the mind of man would have never thought of taking man and making him a joint heir of God. The mind of man would have never concluded that man who had sinned not only could be rest, restored to the fellowship of God by the blood of his son, but then take that human being who had cursed and sworn and been profligate in any kind of debauchery that the man's mind could ever invent and one day introduce him to the royal tribune in heaven as a citizen of that great country. Oh, man, you think it was a job to take these apostles and send them into the world to make over that that they were a part of when they didn't love the world that where they to which they were sent. How can you imagine to be introduced to the God of heaven on the day of inception in that eternal kingdom? What would it take? How would it be that God, well, this is a work of God that man has not understood. And the redemption that is now available had a purpose in mind. When our children were born, we didn't set them out on a street corner and pat him on the rear and said, now go out and make your living. We helped and changed their diapers and burped them and fed them and this and that. Whatever they wanted to eat, we got it. Whatever they, we could do to soothe them, we did it. And when they were scratched on their knees, they'd go to their mama and she'd make over them and love them and pet them and, and console them and help them to get over it. And they were always in an attitude or a situation that Love seemed to be the determinant factor. Somebody thought more of them, and they had confidence in that, than they did of themselves. Yet we have a religion today, if we're not careful, where man thinks that the only way he can ever express or have an expression of God's love is through some jerking or some motion or some speaking in some strange, erratic uh, phenomena that is called glossalia, which is not really a tongue at all. It's just uh, an expression of exuberance. And they think that's an expression of God. Can you imagine a God who could create the world in law and order would then recreate a world in confusion and disarray? So we must study the Word of God. Now, when we study the Word of God, that's going to separate men. There are going to be those who are natural as opposed to those who are spiritual. Now, this is not talking about as much a brand as it is a type of being. And this type of being is that which is shown by the effect that the Word of God has on their lives. For you see, the natural man doesn't care for the things of the Spirit. And doesn't have any attitude of wanting to change, to be like God. Has never been told, because somebody didn't reveal to them the information, that the Holy Spirit had actually a work to do to make over them so that they could be in communion and fellowship with God, not for a day or two, but for eternity. The natural man is typified 
by one called Simon Magus. I don't know if you've spent too much time in studying old Simon. But in Acts, the 8th chapter and the 12th verse, Philip had gone down to Samaria and has preached the gospel. And there was a lot of people believed and were baptized. And Simon himself also, when he was baptized, continued with Philip, beholding the miracles which he performed. Now, instead of Simon falling in love with God, instead of Simon falling in love with the idea, I can change to be like God, Simon found out that he could probably take this form of religion and have power and control over his fellow being. He wasn't wanting to heal somebody just to make them feel better. He wasn't wanting them to hear the word of God so they could be motivated to live and be like Christ. He wanted control. He had taken what God had given and was going to use it for his purposes. And so he came up to Simon Peter after Simon and John had come and seen through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He said unto them, Give ye me also this gift that upon whomsoever I lay my hands he might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, you know, there's sometimes people say some things that catch you by surprise, keeps keep you off base. You just can't see how they get from A to B. There's no bridge that marries the two. By the Spirit of God, though, Simon Peter was up to the task, and he said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Didn't meant God had deprived him. meant he deprived himself. You don't catch on, Simon, what's going on here. We're not out here just for a circus or a show. We're out here to make citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're out here to make over the mind of man. We failed, I think, in a large capacity in the Lord's church to emphasize the reworking of the mind of man. It's a job. We've talked about we've got to clean up our language. Yes, but what about cleaning up our heart? We've talked about cleaning up our lives morally. Yes, but what about cleaning up the process of thought that would allow us to have God to be at home on the throne room of our being? We've talked about a lot of things that have made us different than the rest of the religious world. But we've not spent a whole lot of time and fallen in love with our maker. I think it's true that you're only in love with the people that are more like you than other people. I think there is a truism to an attraction of a knit or a joint spirit or attitude of heart and mind. And when people have no spiritual concept and desire to serve God, they have refrained from that spiritual realm and gone back to that from whence they came. Old Simon Magus said to Peter, pray God that perhaps the thoughts of mine heart might be forgiven thee. Peter said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. I don't know if you've ever studied about Simon Magus or not. But Simon Magus followed Peter and dogged him all the rest of his ministry here on this earth. 
And it was Simon Magus who went to Nero and fell in with a great power that was of evil content and decidedly proved to Nero that he was a god and was actually put on a bust or a statue in Rome and was there worshipped as one of the gods of Rome. Now, you talk about somebody coming all the way back around the circle. Imagine having your sins forgiven, having an opportunity to have your life and your heart and your mind worked over so that you could spend eternity with God and getting back to the place which you were far worse than than when you began. It had been better to have never known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned from it. Peter would write, for it is happening to you according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Simon Magus, of course, was the one who on the road called Appian or the Appian Way that they tell us, history speaking, that the head of the apostle Paul was severed from his body underneath the bust that carried the head or a semblance of Simon Magus. Now listen to what Paul says. Who knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man? The person who knows you better than anybody else is you. And the person who knows you better than you know you is the spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God tries you, tests you, to determine what kind of person or being you are. Turn with me right quickly to the Psalms, the 139th division. And I want to read you what David, through inspiration of the Spirit of God, wrote so that you can understand. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead, in, lead me in the way everlasting. Now the person who understands what Christ did, intended for man to become, having sent the Holy Spirit to allow us to become like God so that as we travel through that broad country to whom no traveler returns... And stand in the presence of God at death. Is allowing us to change ourselves to become what we never would have had any possibility of being. We always kind of down the poor old Jew. Well, you know, if I'd have had this like the Jew, I'd have. You know what the Jew didn't have that you do? You know what the game breaker was? Is. I find you wouldn't feel too hard to Jew. There is none who were a part of the Jewish church, the church of the wilderness, as uh, the gospel preacher Stevens called it, that ever had the gift of the Spirit. They didn't have any help. We've got it all. Then somebody takes this help and won't allow it to work. They won't let God in their heart. They got him out there away from them, stiff-armed, shielded. 
They won't listen to the plea of the Spirit of God as the message is preached. They're going to play with their phones. Are they going to play with the babies? Are they going to look through the songbook? They're going to waste their time, and God can never get in. Because the natural man is never going to be controlled by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is going to cause you to weep when the gospel is preached. Rejoice when sinners are baptized into Christ and be exultant as you sing songs of praise to God instead of sitting back and acting like you're at just some old show that's never had any intent and purpose in your life at all. The mind of man won't receive the message of God unless the Spirit of God is allowed to work in his life. You say, how do you know that the Spirit of life The Spirit of God is working in my life. You change. Oh, that is a given. You change your purpose in living. Why is it that you're here? Just because your parents four or five generations ago lucked into the right building, were baptized into Christ, and you didn't know any place else to go, so this is where you attend? Or was it because somebody had led you astray and you found out the truth and through love and conviction and obedience to the gospel, you knew that you had found the truth of the word of God and you were set on fire from heaven with the message of the word of God to try to teach somebody else that that you had not been taught yourself and you had fallen in love with the Lord. And every day as you live and every step that you take, You keep falling in love with him. Because the spirit of God is changing you. Is remaking you. Is remolding you. Oh, now you won't put, there won't be a sign up on your wall. Oh, well, you did this today that you didn't do last week. But I'm going to tell you, as you keep looking in the mirror of God's word. Yeah. I used to not think that. Oh, is this the way I'm supposed to be? You see, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness. Now, that doesn't mean that's something to be mocked and made fun of. It just means something they can't control. There are some people that won't be children of God because they can't control the Spirit of God. And so they won't let the Lord in their lives. And they can't know him. Because they spiritually destroy that effect. But the word of God has come. The Bible is here. You can't deny that it is. You can't deny that there has to be a change wrought in your life. And if your life has been one that hasn't changed over the past few years to be more like Christ... You better look into the perfect law of liberty. And being not a forgetful hearer of the word, but a faithful doer of the word, you better watch how you're blessed. The Spirit of God is the judge that will allow you to determine your prejudgment. There's a lot of times that people bore death 
don't understand how much God has loved us. If you and I go into school, and I used to have some of these classes, you and I had tests, and we had the test given us before we took the test. We'd do pretty good, wouldn't we? Unless you were so lazy and so sorry, sorry you wouldn't do anything. And then it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But the Spirit of God allows us to test ourselves and try our hearts and determine our obedience so that by the motivation and the determination that we have within us, we can determine how we'll pass the test of death, which comes in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. For it's only once appointed unto man to die, and after that to judgment. And if I know the judgment of God, I know his rules and regulations, I know his purpose and his plan, I know that I've got to adjust myself to be like Christ. Will that mean that I won't want to read and study the Bible? Will that mean that I could come on Sunday morning and forget Sunday night and Wednesday night, Tuesday night? Oh, oh, we don't want to come Tuesday night. You're getting too religious here, Joe. That's cultish. Will that mean that I can't find the time every day to commune with the Lord? Does that mean when I'm reading the Bible, I'm saying, well, boy, Joe needs that, don't he? Yeah, man, better let that old boy read that book, baby. What about yourself? Have you already been made perfect? Or are you looking for perfection? For that perfection is the judgment. And that judgment comes about by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is revealed in the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ teaches us, I just got to have Jesus every day. I got to have him by my side. I got to have him as my guide. I just can't live without him. We're going to stand and sing this hymn of invitation. I want you to watch the words. And I want you to listen to the thought. I just keep falling in love. Will you come if you need to as we stand and sing? We hope you have profited from today's study of In Search of the Mind of God. If you would like a recording of today's program, please visit our website, our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, or even our YouTube channel. Remember, never take man's word. Only God's Word, the Bible. Demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept on its belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast, In Search of the Mind of God, with graduated preacher Joe Wilson. Thank you for joining us on this segment called Searching the Scriptures. On this segment, we'll be discussing subjects that people tell you God has taught which in fact he has not. We will cite book, chapter, and verse, or thus saith the Lord. We will explain by your comprehension, which is easily done, that God has not commanded these things. Then it will be up to you to decide. We will not leave the devil the last word in any discussion concerning the scriptures. Our premise is to have you write these, and we will discuss them. So send these emails, if you will, please, to the PSL Church of Christ at gmail.com 
or join the discussion on Facebook, YouTube, and our website again, pslchurchofchrist.com. Thank you for studying with us. Thank you for joining us again in Searching the Scriptures. Paul told Timothy, search the Scriptures. And Jesus taught, as he was here on this earth, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. As we search the Scriptures, we search the mind of God. We're trying to find out what God taught, not man. We're not interested in some priest or pastor or reverend's concept of what the Scriptures teach. For you see, God wrote the Bible through the Holy Spirit as he, he inspired the apostles for you and I. God did not write a book that we couldn't comprehend or understand. What we do have to do, though, is read it. And if we read it and study it, we can find the mind of God. As we find the mind of God, then we can answer some questions a lot of times that are asked. One of the questions that's asked a whole lot of times concerning the Word of God is, can children pray? Now, there's a lot of people that think it's a universal right of anybody in any time and in any place to pray, even children. But the question comes, can children pray? Now, there's a lot of things that have to exist before prayer can be an actuality. First of all, God has to acknowledge the prayer. Then there has to be a means by which the prayer is acknowledged. And there has to be a person that God will allow to use that means. And there has to be a reason for the prayer. So let's look at those four things right quickly. In prayer, one of the criteria is that there must be an existing priesthood, more particularly a high priest, in order to get us to the throne of God and get us into the realm where God will hear. In the speaking of children and their praying, They've never been separated from the throne of God by sin. The only thing that can separate us from God is sin. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. 1 Peter 3.12 Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But thy sins have separated between thee and thy God, so he will not hear your prayer. Until a child becomes accountable and sins, there is no breaking of the communication between the child and God. Paul writes in Romans 7, I was alive without the law once. But when I became a man, when I, be, when I became acknowledged as a person who could think, when I became accountable, sin came into existence and I died. And the law that was ordained to life I found brought death. Sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. 
I was alive, he said, without the law once. That didn't mean that Paul was so old that he pre-existed the law of Moses. No, that just meant at one time in his existence, before he was commensurate or amenable or having to be obedient to the law of Moses, he existed when the law of Moses had no effect over him. That, of course, was the period of time before he committed sin. But when he did commit sin, he was separated from the covenant or the fellowship with God. When that covenant or fellowship was broken, there was no means that Paul had to restore that fellowship. That's the reason Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross, shed his blood, that those who repent and are baptized for the remission of sins might meet it in the watery grave of baptism and rise to walk in a newness of life. And for the first time since that communication link was broken because of sin, it could be reestablished because of the absolute forgiveness of all sin. But at that period of time when we become a part of the church of Christ or become those who are called the saved or saints of God, we have to continue to walk in Christianity and by the commandments of God in order to continue to be saved. The apostle John by the Holy Spirit writes, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. God's son continues to cleanse us from all sin. Now the way that the blood can continue to forgive us of that sin is to be in the body. Your blood in your body cleanses that contamination in your physical body because the blood flows through it and washes it to safety. The reason that a person who's a member of the Church of Christ can continue to be free from sin is to continue faithful in obedience and in fellowship with the Church of Christ to which they've been added after they were baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Once they've been added to the Church of Christ, Jesus Christ becomes our high priest. As he becomes our high priest, we have a means or an avenue to get to God the Father in prayer. We come before God the Father through Jesus Christ. We come clothed in Christ. Paul writes, for as many as of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ for Christ, Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now a child has never become a sinner Therefore, they have no need for a priest or a high priest. And their sin has never been something that broke the fellowship of God. So Jesus said their angel, their spirit, their soul, always is before the face of the Father which is in heaven. Matthew 18 and 10. So there's no reason for them to pray. To whom would they pray? What would they call God when they prayed? Would they call him God the Father? Would they pray through Jesus Christ? Would they have the understanding that at one time that fellowship had been broken but now has been reestablished? No, children don't pray. They don't partake of the Lord's Supper. They don't give of their means to support the church. They don't 
eat of the bread and drink of the cup as it's passed. They don't do what Christians are commanded to do in worship because of this. Their situation before God is not the same as ours. They do not need a high priest. They do not need one to take them into the presence of the Father since they're always there in his presence until sin has broken that fellowship. So don't ask your child to pray. Somebody says, well, I just want to teach it as a good example. Well, do you let them give as an example? You say, well, I'll give them a quarter and put it in. But they didn't earn that, so they're not really giving. They're just transferring. Do you allow them to partake of the Lord's Supper just as a means of teaching? Do you allow, you know, you just don't ask somebody who's not qualified to participate in something they're not asked to participate in. No, children do not pray. To whom would they pray? What would they call God the Father? Who's their high priest? Why is it that you're trying to get them to participate in commands that are demanded of those who have been sinners and have been saved from that sin called Christians? when they themselves have never become a sinner by disobedience to the law of God. Hopefully that's helped you. We'll talk about more of these things as we continue to search the scriptures. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel, at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.